0: Section Ten of Women and the Republic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Celine Major. Women and the Republic by Helen Johnson. Chapter Four Part Three. The writers of the history further say, in regard to the death of their organization, henceforward women took no active part in temperance until the ohio crusade revived them all over the nation and gathered the scattered forces into the women's national christian temperance union of which francis e willard is president this is a mistake for women were very active in connection with temperance societies of which men were officers and in organizations of their own before and after the w c t u was founded the history of that great body furnishes another proof of the injurious effect of the suffrage movement upon the cause of temperance in eighteen seventy two a political temperance party was formed in columbus ohio which four years later at cleveland became the prohibition party from the first this party inserted a plank in its platform favoring universal suffrage and mentioning especially the extension of suffrage to women the w c t u was founded as a non-denominational and non-partisan body and was divided and subdivided into committees each having charge of a distinct branch of philanthropic work which was by no means confined solely to temperance measures this had given the body great working strength and its efforts are well known everything except its suffrage labor has had rich reward i was present at the metropolitan opera house in new york city in eighteen eighty six i think and witnessed with amazement the high-handed fashion in which an organization whose constitution forbade political coalition was handed over to the prohibition party pledged to give aid and comfort the division and bitter feeling that resulted were a serious injury to the cause of temperance in her contribution to the volume entitled women's work in america miss willard says after ten years experience the women of this crusade became convinced that until the people of this country divide at the ballot-box on the foregoing temperance issue america can never be nationally delivered from the dram-shop they therefore publicly announced their devotion to the prohibition party and promised to lend it their influence which with the exception of a very small minority they have since most sedulously done writing in the outlook for june twenty seventh eighteen ninety six lady henry somerset says enclosing a sketch of francis willard the temperance cause in spite of the gigantic strides it has made of late years towards success is still relegated to the shadowy land of unpopular and supposedly impracticable and visionary reform the temperance cause is not relegated to a shadowy land but has just taken in many places notably in new york state another gigantic stride towards success prohibition has proved less faithful to the women than miss willard said the women had proved to it for in the struggle to survive the attack upon its life made by populism in eighteen ninety six it refused to reinsert the woman's suffrage plank in its platform mrs helen Guger bolted with the populists mrs boole of new york in behalf of the w c t u moved the reinsertion in the platform of the woman's suffrage plank which had been stricken out when it was decided to make prohibition the only issue amidst great confusion mrs boole was obliged to withdraw her motion and when she changed her claim from that for a plank in the platform to one of resolution which declared the convention to be in favor of women's suffrage it was accepted by the committee on resolutions and adopted with only a few dissenting votes in view of the fact that the party has had a suffrage plank since eighteen seventy two when it began to be this does seem like the turning of the back rather than that of the cold shoulder when to its motto no sectarianism in religion no sectionalism in politics the w c t u added no sex in citizenship it fastened itself to a principle that has not progressed its temperance work for god and home and native land has gone on but the political alliance and effort have alike proved futile a striking proof of this fact is seen in the reports of the non-political sections of the wctu itself police matrons have been placed through their petitions and educational and philanthropic work that is directly in the line of doing away with the liquor evil and is worthy of high praise has been accomplished miss willard in her article already alluded to reports that under the leadership of mrs mary h hunt the w c t u has secured laws requiring scientific temperance instruction in thirty states the number is now forty two and i cannot help believing that mrs hunt must feel more hopeful of the favourable results to temperance of well-directed effort to influence those who have the power to execute the laws they pass then miss willard has reason to feel for its success through prohibition and the forceless votes of women whose power in philanthropy is fully recognized and cheerfully acknowledged women talk as if the solid vote of their sex would be cast in favor of temperance the census of eighteen ninety reveals the fact that there were in that year three times as many women hotel-keepers as in eighteen seventy and seven times as many saloon-keepers and bartenders again in the nation's greatest crisis women's suffrage showed itself to be the antipodes of women's progress those of us whose once sable locks are now silvered are content to wear the badge of years when we remember that we were permitted to live long enough ago to have felt the expansion of soul the fervour of loyal love the melting power of an overwhelming universal sorrow and a united joy which filled the mighty days during a war for freedom and for the life of the republic most of the women of the land were working with a devotion that spared neither strength nor life what was the women's suffrage association doing i answer in their own words in their history they say while the most of women never philosophize on the principles that underlie national existence there were those in our late war who understood the political significance of the struggle the irrepressible conflict between freedom and slavery between national and state rights they saw that to provide lint bandages and supplies for the army while the war was not conducted on a wise policy was labor in vain and while many organizations active vigilant self-sacrificing were multiplied to look after the material wants of the army these few formed themselves into a national loyal league to teach sound principles of government and to impress on the nation's conscience that freedom to the slaves was the only way to victory they further say Accustomed as most women had been to works of charity, to the relief of outward suffering, it was difficult to rouse their enthusiasm for an idea to persuade them to labour for a principle. They clamoured for practical work, something for their hands to do, for fairs, sewing societies to raise money for soldiers' families, for tableaux, readings, theatricals, anything but conventions to discuss principles and to circulate petitions for emancipation they could not see that the best service they could render the army was to suppress the rebellion and that the most effective way to accomplish that was to transform the slaves into soldiers the women's loyal league voiced the solemn lessons of the war universal suffrage and universal amnesty the women's loyal league voiced the fact that the professional agitators of the suffrage movement were not patriots again they filled the land with words while the others of their sex were blazoning the page of their country's history with deeds of the noblest self-sacrifice the most gentle daring when we remember with what infinite patience the great emancipator was waiting for the hour when in his wisdom he discerned that he could best save the union by emancipating all the slaves we realize what added sorrow may have been pressed upon his heart by the foolish petitions that the league were rolling up by the hundred thousand and sending to a congress that was powerless to heed them if it would statesmen and generals were staggered by the stupendous task of guiding a great people and saving the union in the most powerful rebellion ever known but these few women knew from the beginning that the war was not conducted on a wise policy and that to provide for the army was labor in vain they joined the great body of fault-finders and talkers and lifted not a finger in practical work and they are the women who would fain vote for and become america's rulers the other women who were narrow-minded enough to prepare stores and raise money for the army and do such concrete work as nursing in the hospital and on the field had been busy for nearly two years when the suffrage women bestirred themselves in their own way in march eighteen sixty three they issued the following appeal to the loyal women of the nation which i quote at length because it is an excellent example of their methods which began in words and ended in words in this crisis of our country's destiny it is the duty of every citizen to consider the peculiar blessings of a republican form of government and decide what sacrifices of wealth and life are demanded for its defence and preservation the policy of the war our whole future life depends on a clearly defined idea of the end proposed and the immense advantages to be secured to ourselves and all mankind by its accomplishment no mere party or sectional cry no technicalities of constitution or military law no mottos of craft or policy are big enough to touch the great heart of a nation in the midst of revolution a grand idea such as freedom or justice is needful to kindle and sustain the fires of a high enthusiasm at this hour the best word and work of every man and woman are imperatively demanded to man by common consent is assigned the forum camp and field what is woman's legitimate work and how she may best accomplish it is worthy of our earnest counsel with one another we have heard many complaints of the lack of enthusiasm among northern women but when a mother lays her son on the altar of her country she asks an object equal to the sacrifice in nursing the sick and wounded knitting socks scraping lint and making jellies the bravest and best may weary if the thoughts mount not in faith to something beyond and above it all work is worship only when a noble purpose fills the soul woman is equally interested and responsible with man in the final settlement of this problem of self-government therefore let none stand idle spectators now when every hour is big with destiny and each delay but complicates our difficulties it is high time for the daughters of the revolution in solemn council to unseal the last will and testament of the fathers lay hold of their birthright of freedom and keep it a sacred trust for all coming generations to this end we ask the loyal women of the nation to meet in the church of the puritans dr cheevers new york on thursday the fourteenth of may next this was signed by elizabeth cady stanton and susan b anthony in behalf of the women's central committee having set forth their belief that by common consent the forum the camp and the field were assigned to men these women secured a forum from which to promulgate advice and direction to the men who were indeed allowed possession of the camp and the field after a speech in which among other things miss anthony said instead of suppressing the real cause of the war it should have been proclaimed not only by the people but by the president congress cabinet and every military commander she presented resolutions which included this resolved that there can never be a true peace in this republic until all the civil and political rights of all citizens of african descent and all women are practically established the reading of the resolutions was followed by one of the long acrimonious debates with which those who read the reports of their conventions are familiar they resented it bitterly when mrs hoyt of wisconsin said the women of the north were invited here to meet in convention not to hold a temperance meeting not to hold an anti-slavery meeting not to hold a woman's rights convention but to consult as to the best practical way for the advancement of the loyal cause we have a great many very flourishing loyal leagues throughout the west and we have kept them sacred from anti-slavery women's rights temperance and everything else good though they may be in our league we have several objects in view the first is retrenchment in household expenses to the end that the material resources of the government may be so far as possible applied to the entire and thorough vindication of its authority second to strengthen the loyal sentiment of the people at home and instill a deeper love of the national flag the third and most important object is to write to the soldiers in the field thus reaching nearly every private in the army to encourage and stimulate him in the way that ladies know how to do after expressions of strong resentment those who had called the convention returned to their generalizing in regard to the duty and influence of women and to denunciations of the government for its conduct of the war the resolutions which had called forth the strictures were accepted and miss anthony announced that the resolution recommending practical work was not yet prepared it was written at a business meeting following and read thus resolved that we loyal women of the nation do hereby pledge ourselves one to another in a loyal league to give support to the government in so far as it makes the war a war of freedom if the government of the united states had received no more practical pledges from no more loyal hearts than these there would have been little reward for the patriotic devotion that laid down life in defence of the union a sentiment that was often expressed by the suffragist was that as woman had no vote she could not properly be called upon to be loyal the practical work finally accomplished was the gathering of another monster petition in which they told president lincoln that northern power and loyalty can never be measured until the purpose of the war be liberty to man to the close of the war they did nothing but sign such petitions i turn to dr brockett's great book woman in the civil war and i find recorded the names and the work of four hundred and eighty-four women who gave invaluable and honourable special service some of them even to the sacrifice of life itself and of all this number only a half-dozen are known in suffrage annals cure by ballot has been the one and only remedy suggested by suffrage conventions for all the ills real or imaginary that are endured by women as long ago as eighteen fifty four in a convention in philadelphia they uttered the same sentiment in commenting upon mrs jane g Swisshelm's book half a century they say while ever and anon during the last forty years mrs Swisshelm has seized some of these dilettante literary women with her metaphysical tweezers and held them up to scorn for their ridicule of the women's suffrage conventions yet in her own recently published work in her mature years she vouchsafes no words of approval for those who have inaugurated the greatest movement of the centuries it is quite evident from her last pronunciamento that she has no just appreciation of the importance and dignity of our demand for justice and equality a soldier without a leg is a fact so much more readily understood than all women without ballots and his loss so much more readily comprehended and supplied that we can hardly blame any one for doing the work of the hour rather than struggling a lifetime for an idea hence it is not a matter of surprise that most women are more readily enlisted in the suppression of evils in the concrete than in advocating the principles that underlie them in the abstract and thus ultimately choosing the broader and more lasting work in her reminiscences contributed to the history mrs emily collins says From eighteen fifty eight to eighteen sixty nine, my home was in Rochester, New York. There, by brief newspaper articles and in other ways, I sought to influence public sentiment in favor of this fundamental reform. In eighteen sixty eight, a society was organized there for the reformation of abandoned women. At one of its meetings, I endeavored to show how futile all their efforts would be while women, by the laws of the land, were made a subject class. This was typical action thus it was in anti-slavery thus in temperance thus in the civil war and thus it has been with general reforms what suffragists have deemed to be an abstract right has prevented them from taking active part in any efforts put forth to end a concrete wrong as time goes on this spirit becomes more injurious because progress is carrying philanthropy into higher fields of moral action and in so doing is carrying it away from and above the plane where rests the ballot-box while suffrage effort is directed toward keeping all issues in the political arena the trend of legislation is to take them out of politics by the public votes of men and the private votes and public appeals of women philanthropic and educational matters are being removed from the uncertainties and fluctuations of party action as they are thus brought out of the sphere where woman is powerless and into that in which it is natural for her to act the whole force of sympathy and her ability to picture and to pursue an ideal are finding exercise and are hastening the day when there will be no slavery no drunkenness no war and no violation of woman's chastity dr Jacobi in her volume says why should we wonder at the low tone which habitually prevails in relation to public affairs when the women who stand as guardians at the fountain sources and household shrines of thought are trained to believe that there are no rights but only privileges expediencies immunities can those who cower before the public ridicule which greets the enunciation of the rights of women who are habituated to stifle generous impulses for their own larger freedom at the authoritative dictation of the men they see in power can such women be relied upon to nerve the nation's heart for generous deeds who were trained by women at the fountain sources and household shrines? The very men whom they now see in authoritative dictation. And so well did they train them that when both are called upon to nerve the nation's heart for generous deeds, they act together, the trainer and the trained, moved by the same magnetic impulse of a noble devotion. It is purely gratuitous to assume, because women generally have discredited the dogma of woman suffrage, that they have therefore no just conception of rights women are as ambitious as self-assertive as are men they deal more naturally with abstractions and are more tenacious of purpose they are impatient of hindrance and it is inconsistent with facts to infer that they have been stifling generous impulses for their own larger freedom at the dictation of their own sons the executive power and wisdom of these sons they feel to be the very thing they most desire for them a reward for their own abounding faith and love privileges expediencies and immunities are their rights how well fitted such rights are to enable them to nerve the nation's heart was seen in the great crisis we have been considering when the ignoble dogma of suffrage caused its believers to fail in generous impulse and to stand aloof in the time of a supreme need i cannot agree with dr jacobi that a low tone habitually prevails in relation to public affairs the Guards freshly thrown about the ballot and the greater watchfulness over entrance to citizenship are two of the most obvious advances at this moment. End of Section Ten.